0: And we are live. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock here, along with Bruce Lord, who is stepping in for waiting. And Bruce, we have like a hundred things to go through on this episode of Dynamite. So thank you for joining me. Um, like many Wednesday nights, my head is spinning. So uh, forgive me, but here we are. Thank you for joining me.
1: You're definitely not the only one. I mean, it's a lot to get through. As if you know, filling in for Way wasn't enough of a tall order, and then there's the fact that I'm coming in kind of in like the bathroom break spot, like right after a really hot Nate Milton spot on Monday. But I guess that sort of balances out. You know, you had a you had a mediocre show on uh, on Monday that needed to be brought up by Nate, and then you know, you've got a pretty hot show here that's that's probably going to be cooled down by me. Let's no, be honest. No, no, no. So. I
0: think everyone is looking forward to hearing all of your thoughts on tonight's show. I will say this and it's it's one of the the many thoughts I had watching this program is that we have Battle of the Belts coming up on Saturday night and the idea is these you know quarterly big events in the style of a Clash of the Champions or a Saturday Night's Main Event. Bruce, I think it's really hard to get people up for these kinds of specials when tonight was your weekly dynamite show. Like this was an uh, Grant th- this was an incredibly deep card we had tonight. But it just seems like there's no way that your one hour on Saturday uh, can compare to the lineup you had tonight that this audience is regularly exposed to.
1: Oh, my goodness. I mean, you've got that on the same at the exact same time as the NJPW show coming after a live rampage the night before, which is going to have a title match. Um, I think we got two more matches announced for um, the Saturday AEW show, I should clarify, maybe two thirds of the way through. This show. I mean, I remember last time I wrote up the review on on post for the last battle of the belts, and I was sort of thinking like, oh geez, it's a week beforehand, and I only know one match. It's now you know three days before that uh, that mat- that card on Saturday, and we've just finally found out uh, what's going to, what's going to be on there. I kind of feel like, and we'll probably talk a lot about about the kind of ROH adjacent stuff that was happening here. But until the ROH situation kind of uh, settles in, or we get a sense of what's happening there. There's just going to be a lot of matches, a lot of moving parts, and a lot of maybe these kind of somewhat hastily put together cards uh, that AEW viewers are going to have to contend with.
0: Tonight had to have been the record for the Excalibur push at the end of the show because he had three cards to promote, and I counted between matches and uh, announcements that he had to plug 12 things that they had to promote for (laughs) Rampage, Battle of the Belts, and then pretty much a full lineup for next Wednesday on top of it. It was just one thing after the other um, with with an angle involving Thunder Rosa and Nyla Rose. At that point, I was just, uh, my head was spinning and I was just trying to furiously type.
1: He, he has his hands full, and, you know, he still was able to manage that incredible uh, Taz November to Remember pull. But all anybody is going to be talking about, I'm sure, is him just, you know, flubbing on Nina Ray when JR just asked him to translate that live on air. So, poor guy, you know, he's uh, – but no, I mean, I think a, sh- a show like this really – really it highlights how valuable a presence that someone like that who can keep all of those things organized uh, during a live broadcast while also making those deep historical polls and still pretty much covering the play by play. It's yeah, he has his hands full. Definitely.
0: So we are going to get into Dynamite, a packed edition of the show from the UNO Lakefront Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, WrestleTix today had it at around like 3,500 tickets that were out for the show. And, you know, not, not the biggest AEW Dynamite crowd, but again, like this just continues the streak of some incredible crowds that they have been getting. And this was uh, 3,500 that sounded uh, like triple that. It was just a red hot audience for uh, a significant, the majority of the show. They were pretty hot for this.
1: Absolutely. They really, really showed up. Um, I'm glad that you had the number uh, of actual uh, of pre-sold tickets because I was kind of wondering if the last minute announcement of uh, or addition of Punk and Penta was maybe to sort of, you know, get some last minute uh, walk up tickets being sold.
0: Yeah, that was as of this afternoon, so I don't know if Mm -hmm. if maybe the number ends up being a little bit higher tonight with with, with a walk-up. Certainly, this was a card that I would say, if you were on the fence about, it it was a pretty compelling card to want to go and check out. And that is the match that began things with CM Punk taking on Penta Oscuro. And the idea here is that Punk is ranked 5th and Penta is 4th. Uh, and for those curious, the others ahead of them uh, from third all the way up to first are Frankie Kazarian, Sammy Guevara, and then Adam Cole is ranked first. So um, maybe maybe charting a bit of a path for CM Punk as he mm-hmm. is uh, moving mm-hmm. towards this uh, title match. But uh, immediately, this crowd, they're going back and forth with chants for a pretty long period of time here. So already setting the scene and they get into a chop battle. We get a fried Takayama reference and then they just go to an AEW chant like this crowd they were here for a good time and uh, they got a hell of an opener here penta targets the ankle and knee of punk which would uh, come into play throughout this uh, punk avoided a tope suicida and then hit his own and we come back and there's a spot where punk looks to be going for a frankensteiner off the top and did not come anywhere close to hitting this and just slips and crashes and I mean, this totally looked like a mess up, but he instinctually just grabs his knee that he had been selling. And this is something we always talk about, Bruce, is that sometimes, you know, mistakes will happen. And it's the reaction that you can turn it into a positive. And I did not see this as some uh, glaring error that interrupted the match.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. This became the story of the match, at least from Punk's perspective. And he was working this into pretty much all of the offense Uh, encounters that he would work for the remainder of the match was all to do with him selling that knee to the point that I was kind of almost if we're talking about the whole you know no mistakes in improv thing I was kind of waiting for Penta to do a little bit more yes and and sort of start targeting the knee a little bit more explicitly but I still think Punk did a fantastic job there this was really really well paced throughout
0: yeah you you could see the two kind of communicate in the corner and then uh, a spot I always enjoy is like the guy who's selling the knee in Punk takes the Irish whip and he can't run into the opposite corner his leg just gives out and then he comes back and he hits the frankensteiner in the opposite corner um so i guess uh they, they wanted to get this frankensteiner in there a, a, a big a big uh, month this month for the steiners and penta then stops the gts with elbows and it just became this this battle for punk to try and hit this gts on this guy who uh, had these counters for it and punk ends up uh, using a fireman's carry to uh, get away from the uh, from the arm breaker spot goes to the anacon device and penta gets his leg on the rope we see a fear factor and pile driver by each teased onto the apron and then punk with the head kick springboard clothesline he calls for the gts once again, Penta catches the leg. The fear factor is stopped. And Penta once again takes the arm. He is determined to break this arm. They trade cradles. And then Penta comes off the middle rope into a GTS landing on the shoulders. And Punk wins in 1337.
1: The counters that really kind of guided the last half of this I thought were very, very well done. I know that. You know, for better or for worse, and certainly the uh, the character that Penta is working right now, you know, is, is so over the top. Uh, I feel like, you know, his time in, El- in Lucha Underground and elsewhere, you know, he sort of has this reputation for kind of, oh, very kind of gonzo, over-the-top style matches. But the actual, you know, core psychology and pacing of this and some very, very logical, well-timed, engaging counters... Uh, that that gave this match structure, I thought, really, really worked out well. I did some checking on Cage Match just to confirm that, yeah, CM Punk and Penta never, never crossed paths before. It is a first-time uh, meeting. But I thought it came together very, very well for something that was put together so last minute.
0: Punk wasn't one of those uh, mysterious disciples of death in Lucha Underground. They didn't come into <laughs> contact with one another.
1: Not as far as I could tell. But I mean, we're going to see, you know, at least two more, uh, you know, people who were uh, under masks in Lucha Underground later on uh, in this episode, true. of course.
0: Yeah. I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was a great opener. Um, The the, the punk series that he is. I just think this guy is working at at such a high level. Uh, His his matches have been so enjoyable and just the structure of them. And with uh, a very diverse opponent in Penta, like you wonder how, how these styles would have meshed and it turned out to be, uh, really effective and even if you, if you want to gripe about that Frankensteiner spot I thought the recovery was uh, pretty pretty well handled and they had already been establishing the knee story in it on top of that so uh, punk gets the victory and then we go out to an airfield where the Jericho Appreciation Society is arriving on their jet as they explain this is how sports entertainers travel we have Eddie Kingston and Santana Ortiz who arrive in a car and They have beaten up Matt Menard and Ange Parker, stealing Parker's shoes. And this man uh, would not be able to get any replacement shoes for the rest of the night. He would have to come to the arena barefoot. And this was a a major takeaway from uh, Santana Ortiz and Eddie Kingston as a precursor to our six-man tag later.
1: Clearly doesn't have the Bucks hookup, you know, I mean, every Monday, you know, we see them just, you know, with extra and extra pairs and pairs and pairs of kicks, you know, and I guess none could be spared uh, for 2.0 here. Uh, Yeah, it was a fun little segment, you know, I like the whole kind of grimy street idea of just like, we're going to take your shoes, twist your thumbs and then throw you out on on the street in front of your boys uh, to set the match up.
0: Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus took on Red Dragon for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Um, This turned into uh, a very fun match. We had O'Reilly sliding right into Luchasaurus' knee. This is after they had been getting the heat on Luchasaurus, so he got out of the corner. Jungle Boy gets in, multiple tope suicidas until they retreat to the other side of the ring, allowing Luchasaurus to hit a moonsault to the floor. And then they go after Luchasaurus' knee. So a a lot of uh, knee damage uh, throughout this this, uh, program already. They work over the knee uh, that then they follow on jungle boys knee with a dragon sleep uh, dragon screw and an arm ringer off the apron jungle boy hit an elbow off the top as fish is being held in the side slam position. Very hot crowd for this as they're getting into near falls and double team jungle boy. O- O'Reilly is threatening with the arm breaker and then O'Reilly applies a, a uh, Jumping guillotine. So he's got Luchasaurus in the guillotine as Fish and uh, Jungle Boy are on the top turnbuckle. And Fish executes an avalanche falcon arrow. Going over O'Reilly and Luchasaurus, uh, that was a massive near fall that this crowd just got to their feet from. And then O'Reilly is sent out of the ring uh, after the tail whip, and they finish off Bobby Fish with the Thoracic Express, and Jungle Boy gets the pin, and they retain the tag titles. I was curious if they would actually um, execute the title change here, uh, but this was—I mean, we were two for two on matches here.
1: Oh, definitely. There was oh, just before that—that that crazy avalanche spot. There was that kind of rolling butterfly suplex into an assisted German uh, spot that was very, very impressive. Exactly. The sort of kind of like, you know, fluid moving uh, combos that you'd expect uh, from red dragon, especially in the closing section of the match. But yeah, to your point, I, was kind of predicting uh that red dragon would take this i was sort of anticipating that you know you'd want to play the hot hand with ftr uh as the baby is chasing the belts and that therefore having uh the belts on red dragon as you know a really formidable uh heel team would make sense but you know in the post-match it doesn't necessarily look like we're going in that direction but yeah another another fantastic match that i thought was paced well obviously this one got a lot more kind of aew spot heavy towards the end but still very very entertaining throughout.
0: And what do you see as the path for Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus? Like do you see them kind of just being in the, in this mix here that like they FTR came out afterwards and held up their tag titles indicating something with Red Dragon and I guess we, we will see where Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus fit into this.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus have had a number of title defenses against some of the, you know, the smaller uh, or or less high profile teams um Dark Order, Private Party, Gun Club, The Acclaimed. Um, if they aren't going to be going into a program with FTR, um, I'm not really 100% sure. Uh, and they do need, I feel like they kind of need something uh, to kind of be kind of reinvigorated, right? As you and Way have been sort of talking about uh, for the last week or so, especially after this incredible surge that FTR have been happening, it's been really easy to kind of allow them to slip into the back. That's not the worst thing in the world, necessarily. You know, I think we know that this is probably not going to be the only title reign they have. And we all, of course, know that, you know, Jack Perry's future with the company is not as a tag wrestler, probably in the long term. Uh, But yeah, I do think it would be important to give them something. Uh, to be to to really sink their teeth into, if it isn't going to be connected to FTR or Red Dragon.
0: But uh, FTR was out here; they held up their both the uh, AAA and ROH tag titles, and just got into a shoving match with with Red Dragon. So, to uh, be continued on the tag front. Uh, they recapped uh and Moxley, which I thought was important to at least uh, spend at least uh, a little bit of time uh, reflecting on that match on Friday, and that took us to Tony Schiavone with the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, and they are taking on the Gun Club on Rampage, which might be like the perfect trios pairing for the Blackpool Combat Club's first match as as a threesome. Uh, Danielson said that Yuta and Moxley bled together. This man spit in my face. Now we will all fight together. I think that's a, that. Yeah, that that's a bonding experience. <laughs> and
1: you're right. There's there's some very punchable faces in the gun club just waiting uh, to have the crap kicked out of them across the ring from them uh, soon. The thing that stuck out to me in this was when uh, Moxley said, time to get mean, Wheeler. Um, we've seen, and certainly obviously last Friday, we saw you to be able to endure pain and to kind of like fight and grit his way through it. But I think the question is, can he seem sadistic? Can he seem threatening in the way that Regal has been talking about the other two members of the club, and that obviously those two guys are more than capable of of really turning on that really, really aggressive, nasty, and mean streak within their offense. That is maybe I think more so than the kind of the the plucky, never give up, never say die, I'll bleed, you know, I'll bleed till I'm passed out uh, position that is in. It's whether or not he can really start showing off that much more mean and aggressive offensive side in the short term. I think.
0: Yeah, Moxley just added that the Gun Club are goofs. We need to bust their faces open and get rid of them. And Yuta noting that the real work begins on Friday. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see on, on Rampage because, you know, going into tonight, we only had the, the Texas death Match announcement. And I was curious if that was going to take up a large part of the hour on Friday. But we do have uh, three matches, but um, I would imagine the lion's share of that show will be uh, dedicated to the, t- the title match. Which, for you, you, is it not airing at, like, 4 in the afternoon?
1: It is. It is. Uh, Luckily, I'm on vacation uh, pretty much as of, like, Friday morning. Uh, So I'll probably be able to watch that one live. Uh, Although it might be going to -to head-to-head against the Blue Jays game. I'm not 100% sure. So maybe some decisions to be made there. That is
0: uh, quite the conflict uh, to have with this (laughs) this show at 4 in the afternoon on the West Coast. Yep. Uh, We had a a promo spot with Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter. They're going to meet in the first round of the Owen Hart tournament. And... Hater just said she's going to break Storm's face. She smiled and walked off. So there you have it. They're at least, you know, building up this this with some promos after last week and following it uh, again this week.
1: And one of the only mentions of actual Owen Hart in connection to the Owen Hart tournament, uh, you know, Hater saying that she's honed her skills, or both of them have honed their skills in Japan and Europe like Owen did. That's been a little kind of minor gripe of mine through the opening stages of the, the both brackets of the Owen tournament is, I just kind of want these people talking a little bit about what this tournament is, what it means, uh, what Owen Hart means to them, memories of Owen Hart. Just a little bit more of that, I think, would be nice. But obviously, on paper, this is a fantastic match, one way or the other.
0: The next match was MJF, who was out with Sean Spears, taking on Captain Sean Dean, who had a t-shirt on, I beat you. And the match begins, and... They explain that security is all around the arena and all around the ring uh, to prevent Wardlow from getting involved. But the second this bell rings, this whole arena erupts in chants of Wardlow. They, they have really um, just backdoored into something incredible. I'm sure they had their sights set on uh, something approximating this, but it has to have exceeded expectations of how much their audiences city to city have taken to this.
1: I mean, obviously, MJF, as, you know, being such a despicable heel and playing this, you know, uh, cruel, tyrannical employer, that starts this off. But kind of just the pure physical charisma that Wardlow has been able to communicate in pursuit of him. You know, it's it's his ball to run with, and he's absolutely doing it. Uh, I don't know if you happen to catch that uh, it kind of went viral a couple of days ago. The video from the Japanese call of uh, last week's Dynamite. Uh, with Shingo Takagi sort of expressing his his excitement and approval at Wardlow shredding his way through the through the security last week, which was very charming and very entertaining. It's it's impossible not to love this guy.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, if Shingo is, is a regular on those uh, on those Japanese versions, I think that is something that they, they they should actually get some of those clips like circulating and stuff. I, I did see the call that they had for the end of uh, FTR and the Young Bucks, so mm. uh, it, very very cool to see it with the, the Japanese commentary over it uh MJF is like he's he's uh having trouble unzipping his jacket and this is all just a ploy to sneak attack Dean from behind then he takes the jacket off he's posing and then we go to the back and it's just like uh, some action film where the security are dead on the floor. They're unconscious. MJF is extremely worried, and he continues to attack Dean on the floor, runs him into the barricade, and as MJF is leaning with his back towards the barricade, a security member who had a mask on uh, shows up and reveals himself to be Wardlow, and MJF turns around and he runs in fear, and Wardlow is going after... MJF, Sean Spears comes from behind with a chair shot that is completely no-sold. And then he goes to powerbomb Spears when an army, and I mean an army of security, (laughs) come down. There had to have been at least a dozen guys down here to stop him. This poor dude um, sacrificed his spine, taking this apron bomb. And then with this wall of security holding Wardlow, MJF cannot navigate around to get into the ring. So Bryce Remsburg gets to nine, and then MJF tries to bribe Bryce by stating whatever Tony Khan pays you I will pay you triple as long as you don't count 10 he considers it and then counts 10 and Sean Dean is now 2-0 and against MJF I thought this was great
1: the, the finding these clever ways of weaving not just the Sean Dean story but also, of course, uh, the, the contract story with Wardlow into in ring is going to be you know it's a, it's an interesting creative challenge for them and they're finding some cool ways of doing it. Do you remember the whole like tower defense video game craze of about ten years ago, John? Like Plants vs Zombies? Not really. It was the the idea is that, you know, you're just you're trying to build up a wall of defense and just fight off wave after wave after wave of attackers and holding out for X amount of time. And that's basically what Wardlow was right. doing here, right? Just can I just stand here and hold the line for a count of ten to ensure that Max gets screwed over? Just a really fun way of telling a count out story that is so different from a lot of the usual just, you know, heel begging off or grabbing his belt and running and then being dragged in, you know, or being or even the Yano being tied to the barricade sort of spots. Coming up with a fresh or fun way of doing a count-out spot is pretty difficult, but they did it here.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something that it, it's done so sparingly in AEW that, you know, when it's done, it's you don't groan at it. it. The furthest thing from it. Like, this, this worked so well to this audience, and it was almost just... This um, can they do it in such a clever way? And I mean, this crowd was going just ballistic for this entire thing uh, built around Wardlow. And we go to the back and Wardlow has uh, destroyed more of the security that had taken him to the back. And he says he will not stop until he gets his hands on MJF and he is released from his contract. So this at its core, this is a labor rights story.
1: Exactly, exactly. We've got we've got Starbucks and Amazon unionizing, all manner of, you know, workers rights movements cropping up all across the US right now. Uh, and as we're going to find out later on, you know, uh Wardlow's contract not necessarily the most worker friendly, right? All manner of uh unpleasant overtime and unsafe working conditions that he's going to be forced to endure.
0: Yes, more on that to come. We had a Darby Allen video in black and white where he's skating down a street and we see uh Kind of the outline of a of a coffin, and he is challenging Andrade to a coffin match, and that will take place next Wednesday on the program. So I guess uh, this this will be the uh, the, the blow off to this this program. We assume
1: has to be at this point. I mean, it's been perfectly enjoyable. I mean, that one match in particular, I know everybody really really liked. Uh, but it does sort of feel like it's one that is kind of running its course, and you know, there's probably other things for both guys to do.
0: Uh, there was this promo from Malachi Black. About killing the deepest part of your soul. And you may ask why I'm alone tonight. That's because I want you to fear the shadows. Um, if you can translate any of this promo for me, Bruce, um, have at it because this, uh, it was like it's on as like there's like a filter on his uh, audio where it sounds like he's talking underwater on top of it. So uh, th- this is not the easiest promo to decipher.
1: I try to meet Malachi Black halfway on most of the promos. You know, look, I'm, I'm somebody with, a you know, English literature degrees. I teach, you know, college-level English and whatnot. I read a lot of frou-frou poetry and everything like that. I'm willing to meet you halfway on some, you know, kind of uh, extended metaphors and whatnot. I gave up on this one. This was just, this was all over the place. I really was not envying you having to try to think about transcribing this one.
0: Yeah, this was one to me, it's just... uh you you've got to meet me a third of the way by me being able to understand what what is yep. coming coming out of your mouth but uh this was yeah not not exactly a hit and then we have uh a new take on uh, for the Jericho Appreciation Society for their introduction first we get over the speakers uh with Matt Menard saying the Jericho Appreciation Society for over 5 weeks the recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment that then takes us into Judas uh so they come out and They are met by Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz and Eddie Kingston uh, coming out with a thump shirt, uh, which he was uh, smart enough to uh, tweet ahead of time that it says thump. Because if you look at the font on this, um, especially for people that maybe were not at home and couldn't get a glance at it, uh, it it could certainly have looked like another word.
1: Especially when you factor in the the wag with the, um, you know, the little Brandon sign at the front here. Yeah, I think. Twitter seemed to be very, very concerned about this for a moment. But, but thankfully, no, we're not getting the heel turn that absolutely nobody ex- would expect and nobody would want, uh, from Eddie today.
0: Yeah. You were, um, uh, yeah, you mentioned that the, the sign and there was, um, you know, a lot of, um, complaints about the sign that was visible there in the front row for, I would say three quarters of the show up until, uh, the main event. So I don't know if they removed the sign, but, uh, it was visible there for, uh, most of the show. Uh, One of my favorite parts of this entrance was Ortiz coming down and he's got uh, Parker's shoes tied around his neck. And he goes into the camera and he just yells, your shoes. Like just this uh, announcement that I have your property, just in case you're not sure about this. So uh, they fight on the floor. Everyone is all over the place. And they go through the break. Jericho misses on a lion salt, and they get the heat on Ortiz, who is crawling and crawling. The crowd is going nuts for Eddie, uh, but then he gets cut off by Garcia, finally makes the tag. Uh, Santana is in later with the three amigos and frog splash. Kingston hits a tope suicida onto Jake Hager. They set up for the street sweeper when Ortiz hits a tope con Hilo onto. Matt Menard and Ange Parker who come down to ringside. Ange Parker sans shoes, and then Kingston is in with Garcia. hurricane doesn't connect, and then Jericho from the floor nails him with the bat. And this leads to Daniel Garcia pinning Eddie Kingston in 11 minutes and 45 seconds, and a post match beatdown with the bat uh, with, with Parker still without shoes. I don't think he reclaimed the shoes either.
1: No, no, it didn't look like that. I mean, and you know, I, I can see this being a little running bit, at least in the early stages of this feud. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we all were presuming by the placement of this one uh, that, you know, this is the beginning of of a program that's going to be going on for a while in lots of different permutations and matches. Uh, I thought the match itself was pretty damn enjoyable. Uh, it was kind of fast moving enough that nobody, I didn't feel like any one particular person kind of got a moment to shine Um I'm very interested in seeing how Garcia is going to kind of fit into the uh, Jericho and Hagar milieu in terms of actual match construction moving forward. Uh, But, you know, when you've got a story that uh, I think resonated with people so much, um, you know, the the promos that Eddie was cutting uh, in the pre-taped vignettes and whatnot were characteristically fantastic, you know, uh, it's a slightly different type of story that they're telling with Kingston compared to, you know, the Moxley one, which was, uh, you know, so much more longstanding, uh, just this idea of Jericho just kind of screwing up by tapping into just the completely untamed, violent, animalistic side, uh, of Kingston, is something that I have a lot of time for, and I mean, I don't know. Where do you think this is going? Like maybe I don't know, like a blood and guts type match if they can get two more people onto onto Kingston's team. I don't know that Stadium Stampede is really the right fit.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if they they go to uh, yeah a Stadium Stampede. I I don't think so. Blood and guts. I mean, you've had them state that they're 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 expecting to do it again. Uh, this is a program that you could you could definitely uh, do it do it for at, at some point, point. and yeah, perhaps you do add more to the number side for, for Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Does anyone come to mind to you um, that, that would fit in there? I, I'll, I'll say that you know someone who I think is, is definitely falling off the path right now is a Sammy Guevara that, if in the right situation, I would weave him into this, that would be kind of on Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz's side, although I see that as a tough fit right now. I think that you would have to uh, d- do some work to make that fit, but I just see Sammy Guevara to me as someone that is just um, – in this weird area right now where I just don't know where they're going with them.
1: Yeah, the crowd is beginning to turn uh, as apparently we were hearing about the crowd altering happening uh, last Friday, I think it was. Um, you know, it's one of those cases where you have the heels, don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but it's one of those cases where you have the heels cutting promos against them and you have a sizable portion of the audience kind of going, they got yeah. a point. And, and that's that's a difficult thing.
0: Yeah, one right, right now, just- like he, he, I think would, would affect Kingston, Santana and Ortiz. Like it's not yeah. a fit right now. I'm just saying as somebody that if if they could if this were Guevara of, like 2 months ago um you know he has the history with the inner circle but um yeah at i, I just look at him as someone that they're like that that, that's a character I would want to focus on right now because he's going into a direction that I don't think they should be going with him.
1: Yeah. And we'll see if they change it. One, just quick comment about the, uh, the whole Kingston, uh, and inner circle breakup. I do want to see at some point, uh, Santana speak on the whole situation. He hasn't really done so since the attack, uh, on himself and Ortiz. Uh, obviously, you know, when you're standing beside Kingston, it's difficult to get a word in or, uh, you know, seem like, you know, you're a great talker or whatever, but, but Santana really is. He's a wonderfully, I think, underrated and under, an, excuse me, an underutilized uh, promo talent uh, who's been able to make really personal connections to in-ring stories. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the dissolution of the inner circle and the betrayal of Jericho and whatnot, that's something I really want to hear from him about.
0: Uh, so after that, we go to the back. <laughs> this was actually a good setup. Like Alex Marvez is just laughing about another upset win tonight. And MJF is standing there. Just livid. I thought this was one of the best things, Alex Marvez. Like, it was just a night, it was just a funny moment where he's laughing uh, about this, and MJF, it just sets him off. He screams, He is the prodigy, the phenom, but he understands there is no sympathy for the devil. I don't need your sympathy because I have money. And there is Mark Sterling, who has the contract, and MJF has the right to book or not book Wardlow against whoever he wants. And he is going to put Wardlow to work. And he is going to slaughter that greedy pig. And he pays off Jose, the translator, for the services of the butcher. So it will be Wardlow and the butcher.
1: We had the, you know, whatever it was, the the five tasks of Jericho or the five labors of Jericho. We're clearly going to be getting something quite similar uh, for Wardlow here. I thought MJF came off fantastically, as you'd expect. He seemed more physically angry in a way than, uh, more so than he normally is quick little note about MJF. I want to give a quick shout out, uh, to my post co host David Myers, uh, for the really excellent interview he did mm-hmm. with MJF, uh, in the minor, specifically talking about MJF's experiences, uh, with semitism in the wrestling business. So if you haven't read that yet, uh, look it up and, and give it a read. It's, it's well worth your time.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's a very enlightening read as well, just to hear, you know, th- there were elements of that in that, um, a very well remembered promo that MJF did not too long ago, but uh, going into his you know experiences on, on the independent scene where he experienced that, and it's uh, uh, awful to read about, but also you know important to read that that kind of thing was happening. Mm-hmm. So Marina Shafir against Sky Blue. So uh, Sterling is scouting in the back while Jade is just on her phone, and we see the Baddie section, which features Red Velvet and Kiera Hogan in there for whatever reason.
1: Is this a heel turn for them? I mean, I've been tracking, you know, I'm one of those guys who watches Dark and everything like that. And apart from, um, you know, Velvet getting that, you know, kind of heel reaction in response to uh, to Willow Nightingale being kind of the hometown favorite, there's been no real precursor to this at all. And it seemed like a weird, weird time to, to have this happen while you have a wrestler debuting on television in Shafir.
0: Yeah, for this one, I mean, this was kind of the big showcase for Marina Shafir on Dynamite to build up this, uh, you know, this 30th match for Jade Cargill. Um, It was one that, like, the audience just seemed not into this one. Um, it went two and a half minutes. Uh, blue jumps for a guillotine and gets tossed to the mat. There's a pump handle suplex. Uh, the baddie section is like uh, goading Shafir, who then rolls Blue into this triangle submission and gets the tap at two minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, this, this one, to me, like, I understood what they were trying to do, and maybe it was just, it wasn't the opponent that the, maybe they thought the audience would be more into Sky Blue, but it was to me, just not kind of the, the dynamic outing that you needed yeah. for a Shafir to have that sets her up as this big threat for Jade Cargill. And I would say watching this, I expect when that match takes place, um, that's going to be a very pro Jade Cargill crowd that the audience is going to be behind. And maybe that's what they want. But, um, th- this to me was a segment that th- this was one of the rare segments that this audience was not that into.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm someone who's really interested in Shafir. Like, I don't think she's, you know, like a a can't miss, you know, oh, was underutilized in the WWE, and now, you know, she's going to be a mega star in AEW. I don't think it's that uh, cut and dry in her case. But there's a lot of things that are unique and interesting about her. Uh, You know, some of her matches on the Independence, you know, at Bloodsport have been great, others not so much. Um, There's interesting things that you can do with her. Um, But I just sort of felt there were so many other parts even leaving aside a kind of a cold crowd, you had Cargill in the back, you had the baddies section. Um, you know, there, kind there's of the a fo- lot going on for a the focus a match. seemed every yeah, the focus seemed everywhere except on her. I would have just if you want to do the match with Blue, have her just come in here and just more quickly and violently immediately dispatch her, like without even the pretense of, of it being competitive, uh, and then go on to do whatever it is you're going to be doing with, with Jade or the baddies or whatever it is. As it is, just a lot going on, and the spotlight wasn't really on her.
0: So then we had Lexi Nair with Hook in the back uh, and was trying to get a word with him. Next week, Hook will make his Dynamite debut. And then for the third consecutive segment, we get Mark Sterling, who walks in with Tony Niece, his latest client, and asks why they're not interviewing Nice. And Nice says that Hook was handed his success, so Hook stands up with a medicine ball, and Danhausen appears from behind the workout equipment and catches the ball as he's uh, continuing continuing to try and curse uh, Hook. So I guess we'll probably get Danhausen involved. Uh, although they they didn't flat out announce Hook and Tony Nese for next week, but that was my impression from watching this segment.
1: It's got to be coming soon. Um, you know, uh, I, I like the idea of Dan Housen kind of bit by bit beginning to look up to Hook as some because he is uncursable and therefore admirable, uh, you know, having him follow Hook around like a little puppy trying to be as cool and as badass as he is uh, could be fun. And and yeah, you know, Mark, Mark Sterling, I guess, you know, America's America's litigious country. John, I don't know what to tell you. Everybody, everybody needs a lawyer.
0: Well, he was what he was well represented on on the show. Dan Lambert is with Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, and they call Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti the most obnoxious couple, and this sets up Sky defending the TNT title against Guevara on Saturday at Battle for the Belts 2 that will be taped on Friday.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know... uh... A match that I think, you know, a rematch that makes a lot of sense. I've been uh, pretty, you know, cautiously happy with the way that the Sky uh, title run has been going up until now. But to our point earlier on, in terms of, you know, where the crowd's sympathies lie and whatnot, you know, talking about the, the Jade versus Shafir example, I think this is really a case where you could have, you know, the crowd really behind Sky as, you know, this... Long-time veteran, you know, who was maybe kind of sidelined after the original uh, SCU title run and has bit by bit clawed his way kind of into this, you know, nice kind of mid-cart title position that he's in, in comparison to, you know, the... The kind of irritating, the kind of obnoxious, you know, kind of extra couple that, you know, we all kind of have in our lives. And, you know, just just we don't necessarily need to be hearing about or seeing about constantly. I hate to say it, but, you know, real life couples are often unlikable on wrestling television.
0: You you know what I thought was a big mistake? If you are wanting to keep Sammy Kavar as this baby face, the fact that that line was left on Rampage where he said uh, to, to Ethan Page that... I don't give a shit about your daughter. Like what? That's a line to me. Like you have just given an open door for your audience to totally dismiss this guy by throwing in a line like that. That to me, if you were going to edit anything in that segment, that would be the line I would be just cutting out from my baby face, telling a heel. I don't care about your, your young daughter.
1: Well well this they're learning from the WWE John, you know, the weekly TV is just there to serve as, you know, the 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 footage for the for the eventual promo package that's going to be put together for the pay-per-view when Sammy is a heel by that point, you know, and then <laughs> they'll be able to go back to this and draw upon that. Boom, we've got that in the archive there. Sammy Guevara hates children. <laughs> wrong for wrong for the TNT title, wrong for America.
0: How do you expect that crowd in, in Garland, Texas to react to that match? Like I, I could certainly see a very pro Scorpio Sky crowd on Friday. I think like, yeah. th- this this is a pretty in-tune audience that senses where where things are going with this Sammy Guevara character, and I think it's it's only going to take a portion of that audience to be booing him that I think the arena will follow suit.
1: Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, even whatever portion of the crowd might be behind Sammy, uh, just still kind of, you know, out of uh, de facto residual, you know, likability from a few months ago, there's really not been much for them to dig their teeth into, right? It's been a lot of kind of like hit and run, you know, cowardly, haha, we smashed your car up, haha, we <laughs> expletived, you know, using the belt and everything like that. Um, there hasn't really been much to rally whatever sort of, you know, p- babyface, uh, excuse me, supporters of Sammy as a babyface there might still be. So, yeah, I do expect it to probably be about, I don't know, maybe 60, 70% in, in favor of Scorpio.
0: Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs—they come out. Uh, thunderous reaction. Uh, Starks is here in his hometown, taking on Swerve Scott—or sorry, Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. And uh, Swerve comes from the—he uh, is on the top turnbuckle, and he walks over and leaps off the chest of Keith Lee with a moonsault to the floor. This, this was probably the spot of the show. The precision of which he executed this was incredible. That was, that, that
1: got a legitimate, like, you know, gasp from me. Uh, and Keith Lee too. I
0: think Keith Lee was uh, just in awe <laughs> that this man pulled this off to such a degree. Um, I, I really liked Swerve and Keith Lee as, as a tag team here. I thought they had a lot of great chemistry as uh, like a baby face uh, tag team here. Um, but they were heavily into starts and Hobbs throughout this. Uh, we have uh, Keith Lee had this leap frog as Hobbs uh, ducked under. That was uh, looked great. And then ends up running into starts in the corner. Swerve would fake out Hobbs to Yankee him off the apron, and then does a roll into the ring, into a spear from Starks. Starks follows with a Canadian destroyer. So on this show, uh, we can say, uh, on a dynamite where Ricky Starks and Penta wrestled, Starks had more Canadian destroyers on this show.
1: <laughs> True. Honorary Canadian. Honorary yes. Canadian.
0: Swerve then uh, sends Starks off the shoulders onto the turnbuckle. Uh, he's he's on the turnbuckle and sends him off his shoulders into a pounce by Lee. Hobbs gets into Lee's face, but he's not the legal man. Taz walks out, leading to a big ECW chant. And Hobbs then gets posted when Swerve pops off the shoulder. Swerve breaks up a cover with a 450. And then Keith Lee roars, runs the ropes where Taz trips him and leads to a spine buster by Hobbs, pinning Keith Lee. And they played Stark's music at the end. And they, they had the the hometown guy and Ricky Starks go over here, although it was Hobbs getting the pin.
1: Yeah, you know, but I mean that was, that was perfectly fine. I mean, I, we don't need to rehash, you know, the point that's been made a lot about AEW actually allowing even heels, you know, to win in their own hometowns, uh, you know, to, to, to get the crowd over with them. But I mean, this was just a case where you've got four incredibly entertaining wrestlers who the crowd, all of whom was into just getting to, you know, strut their stuff and, and work an incredibly fun, fast paced, fast-paced, excuse me, very, very entertaining match. I've been really impressed that... Uh, Hobbs in particular has been kind of able to hold his own kind of charisma and presence wise alongside, you know, three, uh, guys with kind of, you know, louder sorts of personalities and, you know, maybe more established, uh, reputations and, and whatnot, but just, just everybody was great here. This was really good. Um, I don't think I'm telling any tales out of school when I say that I think there is a huge, huge, uh, baby face run for Starks at some point. Um, you know, if, if you missed him on NWA, you know, that kind of got him in the door, I think with AEW, his, his face work there was fantastic. That, you know, little, just silly bit of improv that he did with RJ city and the limo on the road to revolution, uh, YouTube show showcase that the dude is preternaturally talented and charismatic, but, but yeah, just a, a cool homecoming for him. Uh, and just a very, very fun match.
0: And late in the card, too. Like, this was, uh, you know, late late in the show, and they had a very, very strong outing. And I, I, li- I would like to see Swerve and Keith Lee, uh, you know, team, they, they can have this alliance. They can do, like, single stuff, but yeah. also have a bit of an alliance when, when necessary. Not that this tag division um, is lacking at all, but nonetheless, it's like there's another combo you can go to. So here we go, everyone. Get your uh, your pencil and paper out. This is what is coming up over the next week on Rampage, the, the live edition on Friday from Garland, Texas, at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific. Uh, we have Hangman Page against Adam Cole in the Texas death Match for the title, the Gun Club against the Blackpool Combat Club, Ruby Soho against Robin Renegade in the Owen Hart qualifier. Then we go to Saturday at 8 o'clock Eastern, we have Thunder Rosa against Nyla Rose for the women's title, Scorpio Sky against Guevara for the TNT title, and Jonathan Gresham versus Dalton Castle for the ROH title out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> getting The boys are going to get some work, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, that, that, that was a bit of a surprise to me, but sure, why not? I mean, obviously, we don't necessarily know where things are going to shake out in terms of ROH, but obviously, there's a lot of, you know, ROH veterans that, you know, Tony has their number, and uh, it'll be cool to see them get in the mix as well.
0: Uh, that is broken up by uh, backstage. Thunder Rosa is being interviewed when Nyla and Vicky appear with a cake to celebrate the world's shortest title reign. And Thunder Rosa asks, "Do you think I'm stupid?" To which they both respond, "Yes." And Thunder Rosa shoves the cake into Nyla's face, and then they fight. Where Nyla is covered in cake and ends up drilling Thunder Rosa into the equipment case, and she is left laying.
1: And in a moment that got a legitimate actual laugh out loud to me uh, from me. Barks at Rosa jokes on you. I love cake, which (laughs) that was fantastic.
0: Yes. We will see if she gets her cake and eats it too on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was our setup for what is probably the main event of the show on Saturday. And then next week on dynamite Wardlow against the butcher hooks debut on dynamite, uh, the return of Britt Baker and next week's show is in Pittsburgh uh, taking on Danielle uh, Camilla, the former Vanessa Bourne, uh, that will be another Owen Hart mm. qualifier, and then in a men's Owen Hart qualifier, Kyle O'Reilly against Jungle Boy, which could be a very good match. A coffin match between Andrade and Darby Allen, and Tony Khan has a huge announcement.
1: Doesn't he always? Yes. Get get, get some sleep, man. Seriously, just put, put the phone down, charge it. I don't know. I don't know. Touch Ma-
0: grass. Maybe he has found all the bots. <laughs> I, I was, I was like,
1: I was, I was kind of hoping that that would be. I kind of have died down by the time we got to this episode because just, just a whole other, whole other front to deal with there, yeah. You know? So there
0: you go. Everyone's uh, speculation can begin. And then we got a video for the Texas death match with, with promos from Paige and Cole. I was glad that this got in there because later into the show, I was thinking like they really didn't hammer home this Texas death match, though so they at least got a video in at the end. And it was pretty much Cole explaining like he is going to leave everything there because he won't be able to accept if he fails to become AEW champion. So I- I'm not going to say this has been the biggest title match that they have promoted. Um, but nonetheless, I'm expecting a pretty great match on Friday from these two it's just a tough week where you're out of your time slot and it almost seems like you're handicapped to begin with but we'll see how it performs
1: I, I don't know if it are going on a little bit earlier I mean maybe in some in the cases of some folks you know it might help you know if they're either are already in for you know in and going to bed for the night or going out for the night uh on a Friday it might but I mean I've you know I i I think a lot of people are sort of recognizing that this is maybe them reacting to, you know, some flagging interest and flagging ratings in Rampage, right? You know, it's, they've been pre-taped. There's been a lot of, well, you know, it's, it's good wrestling, but you know, we can, we can get good wrestling whenever we want. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are checking it out on Saturday morning or whatever. So, you know, something like this that actually tries to make it appointment viewing makes sense. And yeah, I have absolutely no doubt that once the bell rings, this pairing is going to deliver again.
0: Yeah, I mean, between this, you're getting Moxley and Danielson wrestling on on Friday, so I mean, it's it's hardly a rampage. Like it's it's a pretty big rampage mm-hmm. by by its standards. Um, and then the main event: Minoru Suzuki and Samoa Joe for the ROH Television Championship. We've got Bobby Cruz back uh, to announce the the television title match, and Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal are ringside with Jay Lethal's present that he would have to present to Samoa Joe. Uh, So this one starts off with just this unbelievable chop fest from these two. And uh, Samoa Joe was just head-to-toe red by about three minutes into this match. And this crowd, they were going wild as they went from the chops to forearm strikes. Uh, Suzuki catches Joe in an armbar in the ropes before it's broken. Uh, They go through picture-in-picture, and Suzuki is going for the gotch, stops and then says, one more time, and they go back to chopping one another. And Suzuki nails a running dropkick. He roars. The crowd cheers. He goes for the gotch, but Joe blocks it and sends him into the corner, and he's fighting for the muscle busker. Suzuki tries to prevent it with a triangle, but Joe breaks free and hits the muscle busker, winning the match in 11 minutes and 38 seconds.
1: Some matches need a long and brewing story that goes back to shared history going back years like, you know, Hangman and Cole. Uh, Some just need, you know, one hot angle and one fiery promo like Kingston and Jericho. And sometimes with some matches, you just need to stick two names against each other on a marquee and walk away from it. The hype for this has been off the chart, uh, you know, since it was very, very surreptitiously announced last Friday. But I mean, as Kate pointed out last week, You know, you could have knocked the internet over with a feather as soon as this got announced. Um, Look, this, you know, these are both guys who's, you know, in-ring prime is probably in the rear view at this point. You know, if we're talking about, you know, kind of big ROH Japanese matches, this wasn't going to be Joe Kabashi. But it didn't need to be, right? It just needed to be each of these guys ramming into each other, uh, having that sort of, you know... Kobashi Sasaki type, uh, you know, chops and forearm exchanges to get the crowd worked up. Um, Suzuki is someone who, um, you know, I think is really interesting when he comes over to North America, right? He's aware of the cachet that he has over here. And I think he sort of kind of, to be frank, kind of adjusts his matches based on what sort of opponent he is facing uh, and how much respect he has for them and what kind of the level of, of the match is, right? He's not necessarily going to be having a prolonged or complex uh, G1 type sort of match or story here, but he is going to you know leave it all out there for an opponent like Joe.
0: And he's also got to do a match with Ishii on Saturday that (laughs) has a pretty high standard that is coming up in a couple of days. Like that is going to be pretty much a G1 style match. It's kind of what I expect on Saturday. So, um, you know, the, the guy does not quite, he does not pace himself on these, on these U S tours, but Mm -hmm. I I thought this was a super fun main event. I think this was right at everyone's uh, would met, would have met everyone's expectations and, had a very hot crowd attached to it. I think an expected title change. Like it made sense to put the title on Joe here. And after the match, Dutt and lethal congratulate him. And lethal has his box and he's going to present him with a present. And uh, it wasn't a dick in a box, but it was the middle finger in the box that he presented. And then the lights go out and they're out and they come on. And there is seven foot three, Sutnam Singh, India's first NBA draft pick by the Dallas Mavericks, 52nd overall in 2015. This was a very ballsy move, Bruce, that they wanted to present this guy obviously as a big deal, but it was a near guarantee that you're doing the lights out gimmick with this guy that is not going to get a big lights out type of reaction when the lights come on. Very ballsy
1: especially when with all of the ROH chaos and uncertainty that's happening right now, you have, God knows how many, uh, free agents, you know, possible signings. I mean, you know, my brain was going towards Castagnoli, you know, three seconds into the lights out spot, you know, who is it? I'm sure many people
0: were thinking that. Yeah.
1: You know, and it's some guy I have never seen before in my life. And, you know, like, Okay, fine. He's he's physically imposing, but the immediate physicality that we got from him immediately afterwards was not anything notable or remarkable in any way. It was really, um, you know, Lethal and Dutt kind of actually doing the, the work and the angle here. Um, you know, you're coming off of a match with two absolute you know kind of first ballot type legends in Samoa Joe and Minoru Suzuki you have all of these questions about ROH you have AEW presenting itself as uh the wrestling company right that you know values and prioritizes veterans legends acknowledges their background their history their work with other companies and you use this one spot after a pretty high profile, you know, probably one going to be one of the three or four biggest uh, dynamites of the year. And you use this spot to debut by all accounts, a completely green giant and uh, ballsy is one word for it, John, but uh, yeah, <laughs> let's just, let's just leave it at that.
0: Yeah. It was, um, you know, it was presented like, this is like Sanjay Dutt's protege. And yeah, this is going to be one where I think you look at the, You know, AEW, they have they they have taken some talent from scratch and had, you know, relative success with given like the the, you know, the experience level. Um, But but this is certainly a, a test where this company, I would say in if we're comparing this to a WWE or an Omos, I don't think the bar is anywhere near as high as it's going to be to a discerning regular AEW consumer like the idea of Joe and and. And this guy having a match, um, th- that's a pretty ambitious ask uh, of your audience of what you can do with someone that has not done wrestling and is, is going to be limited in terms of, you know, being a, a seven foot three athlete.
1: Absolutely. Like, I mean, obviously none of us have seen this guy, you know, do any in-ring work because as far as I could tell, he has not had any recorded or televised, uh, matches, uh, at all, you know, from his time in the performance center, uh, I think it. Wikipedia says he got there in 2017, uh, and he was, you know, signed by AW back in in September of last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, t- the, the almost and I think is the one that immediately shot to a lot of folks' minds, myself, myself included. And you've seen even the company that theoretically wants to get behind, you know, somebody like that. How that's kind of withered on the vine in the last, you know, few weeks. Uh, you know, a- a- after the after the big match, um, and so if we're talking about somebody who's had, you know, maybe less time within the company, um, I, and again, to the point about the standard that the AW audience has for actual in ring product, this is a very, very, very uh, difficult road to hoe. I would say.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be a, a tough one for them. I think he has to be, limited in, in how you utilize him. So th- this is going to be a, a big test for them. And, you know, you put them in a situation where like, you knew that this was not going to get kind of the, the, the big surprise pop, but they put them mm-hmm. in, into uh, that situation. So do you see this kind of being Joe's focus for the time being with like the lethal Dutt uh Sutnam Singh faction for uh, lack of a better term?
1: I mean, I guess I have to like, it's a hell of a lot to wedge into a pretty, pretty crammed, uh, AEW, you know, dance card at this point, I was sort of, again, like a lot of people, I was sort of thinking, oh, this is going to be some sort of spin off into ROH. But then does having this guy in ROH make any more sense? I mean, sure, fine. I guess we'll see if, you know, if, if Joe can carry this guy for a few minutes or not. Um,
0: You've I mean, also got Joe in the Owen tournament as well. And yeah, that's, yeah. Um, so you, you, have that, you have that to juggle as well.
1: It's, so,
0: it's a lot, yeah. Tonight's Dynamite, overall, uh, your thoughts? It was, um, you know, I, I thought there were there were some misses on this show, but I would say that the uh, the wrestling quality was pretty high and the amount of time that they spent on wrestling on this show. Like, this was, um, it was incredible what they worked into a, a two-hour and two-minute show. We did have the two-minute overrun.
1: Yeah, the over I think the overrun kind of maybe got a little bit a little bit blown up uh, by the hype machine today but uh you know it, it was fine fine at the end for what it was but yeah no it, my thoughts are pretty much the same that this was a very very wrestling focused show uh and pretty much the kind of the, the promos and the the couple of angles that were shot were able to get what they needed to get done in a pretty you know tight and uh precise and concise Uh, sort of manner and keeping things, keeping the focus uh, on the in-ring, which, yeah, was very, very entertaining. You know, I think we were uh, kind of bookended not just by, you know, one match at the beginning and one match at the end, but by, you know, two pretty great matches at the beginning and two pretty great matches uh, at the end. So yeah, lots of, lots of in-ring stuff uh, to recommend this episode of Dynamite.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was a strong show and a very hot crowd in New Orleans. So we take one super chat here from John. Uh, This might be a deep cut, but at this point for me, Tony Khan teasing an overrun is equivalent to Paul Rudd and <laughs> Mac and me on Conan O'Brien. At this point, I hope they never overrun.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that reference, John. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah. I don't know why the um, the need for this overrun, if it was like, obviously it was some kind of a strategy for them. I don't know if it was just to build like the next show or or what. It was obviously they did not need the overrun, but they did use two extra minutes for whatever reason.
1: I, I, maybe it was just for for us to think that the lights out spot would be something that would, I, I don't know, maybe lead to more physicality or another match or, or something like that. Or, hey, you know, maybe maybe this is the proof right here. Maybe it's just us talking about it. Maybe that's the only purpose of it.
0: Yeah, The purpose was for many, many people in Canada to tweet me and ask me if this was going <laughs> to affect dynamite in Canada tonight.
1: I was saying to Kate, you know, you've kind of – this this is the problem. You do something well once that you're not actually interested in doing or that is not your job, and then all of a sudden you're the person responsible for all of these people's uh, television programming and I, I have packages. become tv
0: guide for everyone yeah uh, we do have some feedback uh, here, Bruce. So we will go to forum.postwrestling.com. First one comes from Brian in New Jersey. The debut of Suttonham Singh as a heavy for Lethal and Dutt did not instill confidence in me for Lethal's feud with Joe. I thought it was a bad way to follow up such a hot main event and hot show overall. I don't want to overlook all of the highlights this episode provided for the tag title match, to Ricky Stark's massive hometown hero reaction, and subsequent match, uh, and to the continuation of the Wardlow story. Relieved that Punk and Penta recovered from that scary mm. top rope spot and finished their match, well uh yeah i i think like that's uh you know that was the big angle to close the show and i think people are going to have um a a lot of their opinion on the show on that that final angle
1: yeah definitely i mean it was you know uh, right up until that last moment you know this was a very very entertaining and in-ring focused uh show and so but you know the fact that you know our first comment from brian begins with that fine it's you know it's maybe recency bias because it's the the thing that just happened um but yeah it's it, it might be uh what what is on folks' minds. Uh, we go next to Patrick. Uh, the show moved along at a rapid pace, pace, but pretty much delivered across the port apart from some hiccups. Love the Tory Jamie segment, as it felt like a strong way to build this match towards uh, something special. Um... I thought this was a great direction for the women's division. Marina versus sky was a match that existed. Sure. It was nice to see care home hidden red velvet, seemingly aligned with Jade, but thought car having cargo out after the match to confront Marina would have done more to make this feel important. This is a faction. I'd love to see Sonny kiss get added down the line. Yeah, sure. Maybe, uh, lean's Lee and swerve versus Hobbs and Starks was my match of the night with all four men making great cases at being main event stars in AEW. I was worried that Taz, when Taz came out that we were getting a swerve with him turning. I was wondering about that too, actually, but happy to see team Taz get the, victory. Surreal to see Joe battle Suzuki. The match was good fun, but the post-match just felt weird. Using the lights out, lights on indicated a huge surprise, but nobody knew who Singh was. Any guesses as to what Tony's huge announcement would be? Um, Patrick is speculating about uh, a New Japan crossover. Yeah, could be that, but I mean we've seen, you know, for better or for worse, Tony's surprises uh, not always necessarily hitting at the same level in terms of uh, impact or interest to the wrestling audience.
0: Yeah, I I do think it's one that especially because the Ring of Honor announcement is so fresh in people's memories that, you know, you put this out there. Again, it's like I always say, when you throw out these things, you are giving permission for your audience to go wild with their ideas of how big it can be. So you better have something that that can deliver. Because you're going to have seven days of speculation and you're coming off what was a pretty major announcement of the the purchase of Ring of Honor. So I think it has to be like that's kind of the, the bar you set when you tease these announcements that people are going to think in the direction of, mm-hmm. um, you know, a ma- 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 massive deal for the company, interpromotional stuff, something something in, the, in, the, in that sense yeah. um, that pe- people will, will think about. Uh, We go to Andrew from St. John. This was a really fun show with great matches until the end, which seemed intended to build hype to a guy nobody recognized and end with heat. I've got no time for Jay Lethal for speaking out reasons, so I was already grumpy. Uh, Sutnam Singh will be great, but the lights out reveal didn't work here. The match itself was good also. Also, I love the closing stretch of Penta and Punk, as well as the Eddie uh, Jericho Appreciation Society tag. Sad that on a show that found time for so many matches, the women still only got a short squash match, and that was it. Eight out of ten.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, we've got, obviously, uh, you know, Hater and Tony to look forward to. But yeah, given that there were so many eyes on, I think, this Dynamite, I, you know, would speculate that this will maybe do a pretty decent number by Dynamite standards. Uh, yeah, it, it might have been nice to have something a little bit more high profile there. Uh, Muggin is up next. New Orleans was lively from start to finish. However, the Shafir Blue match was dead quiet, and the post-match angle with Lethal and Joe didn't justify the overrun. That being said, the rest of the show was entertaining. Joe Suzuki was very fun. Punk Penta was dope, despite that scary botch. Team Taz versus Lee and Swerve, and Jurassic Express Red Dragon were well worked. AEW's habit of not letting things breathe is an issue. Yeah, I was sort of thinking, John, you know, I, again, you're, you're in Way's comments about, you know, the pacing when it comes to, you know, writing notes down and reviewing and whatnot, I kind of felt like I was staying on top of things right until the Malachi Black promo, and then I felt like I was just constantly playing catch-up in terms of jotting notes down.
0: Yeah, tonight's kind of an incomplete for me because I had, uh, with running this and everything, my head was already spinning, so I can't put it all just on on dynamite tonight. Um, There was the one episode maybe a month or so ago when I came on here, and it was just... It was way too much. It was to me like the the peak of like dynamite of just um, yeah, I remember that like one. yeah, I was out of breath after watching that episode uh, last word of the night goes to Kate who says loads of fun tonight marred by a flat ending it was hard to tell who was the most over because the crowd seemed hot for a lot of people but I think the biggest pop of the night might have gone to Wardlow I think my favorite match was Team Taz against Swerve and Lee which was just spectacular all four men felt like stars and it seemed like the crowd while they wanted to cheer the hometown anti-hero was into everything I was thinking that the tag belts might change hands tonight but it seems like Red Dragon are shifting focus to the ROH ones do you see more titles changing hands this week or is joe the only and new Uh, so so i guess we're looking at the aew title match on friday and then saturday we've got three title matches of those four uh can you see any title changes bruce
1: i don't see the men's world changing i don't see uh the women's world changing um I mean, if the The ROH
0: title, I don't think that one's changing.
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. I don't think that one's going anywhere. Uh, Guevara
0: winning back the TNT title is.
1: If they decide to kind of steer into the curve and carry Sammy over into a heel direction, then yes. Um, That I mean, I I would sort of feel a little bit bad for Sky because I do think that he has been really good in this spot. I think, you know, bit by bit, uh, the promos with, you know, he and Paige are no longer necessarily being as overshadowed by Lambert as they used to be. So I would kind of hate to cut short uh, what has been a pretty, pretty rewarding and interesting uh, title run from Sky. But again, if they are going to, you know, maybe switch the program up with Sammy, then yeah, having, you know, Ty Conti interfere in some way or whatever and, and get the title back to him, you know, that that'll complete that turn for him. So that's the only one that I can possibly see moving
0: yeah I, i'm gonna go with none I, I don't i don't think we'll we'll get any uh to change i think it would be early. i think you're just getting started with Scorpio Sky. I would hate to them just kind of take the rug out from underneath yeah. him that this early in, in in the way things are going but we'll see um like maybe maybe they have some uh, left field idea for any four of those matches. So that is coming up this week, and uh, Bruce is going to have a report on the site on Saturday night uh, because you will be watching the Windy City Riot from Villa Park, Illinois, which is a pretty loaded show. And John Moxley will be going head to head with AEW on Saturday night.
1: <laughs> That's true, head to head with his own company. Uh, yeah, this is just one of those weird things that comes with uh, obviously AEW and NJPW having the working relationship that they do. Uh, but it's a pretty exciting. Car- Card. Lots of stuff on it, including Scott Norton, of all people, just, you know, for his first match in three or four years, something like that. Uh, and also, the just for, as of, I think, today or yesterday, the just formally announced with NJPW, Chris Dickinson, appearing on that card as well.
0: That's right. Uh, John Moxley against Will Ospreay in the main event. Ishii against Minoru Suzuki. The USFJ Open Challenge. Uh, Finn Juice and Brody King against Jonah, Shane Haste and Bad Dude Tito. Uh, those are so- Eugene Nagata against Tom Lawler on this show. So it's it looks like a pretty solid mm-hmm. card for Saturday night and that goes uh along with Battle of the Belts. So another quiet weekend in Pro Wrestling Bruce.
1: And then there's Strong to throw in there that's going, I think, head-to-head with both of those shows as well. So, oh, that's,
0: there's <laughs> New Japan. They're running competition with themselves, so that's uh, that's always wise. Uh, well, I want to thank you so much for uh, jumping in, Bruce. It's uh, great to uh, – I don't know if you and I have ever done a show together. No,
1: no, no. The three or four times that I have uh, done the fill-in, it's always been uh, with you taking some time off uh, rather than way. So I was really, really glad uh, to be able to get to do this with you specifically.
0: Well, uh, maybe we can do it uh, some other time. I have, uh, I've got to recruit someone for it for Monday night for raw and it's, uh, oh, it's, it's a, it's i t- I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to request that, that from you. Uh, but yes, I will be back on Thursday and I want to make note, uh, for Thursday's post daily news show. Uh, I'm going to be doing a bit of a different format where I'll be going through all of the news and I'll be posting the video up, which will be up now. If you're listening to the show, uh, if you've downloaded the show, and I will be taking questions on the show. So if you want to post questions, post them in the comments section, and I will take time at the end of the daily news show to go through questions. So going to try that out on Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We'll also be dropping the British Wrestling Experience, and then no Daily News show on Friday. Uh, it is a holiday here in Canada, so no Daily News show. But I will be back Friday night with Kate from Montreal to chat Rampage and SmackDown at 10.05pm Eastern Time, so AEW is getting us on an hour earlier, so that that is a a thank you from from us to AEW. Uh, But Bruce, uh, before we go, where can people go follow uh, any of your work?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Contrasoma. That's C-O-N-T-R-A-S-O-M-A. Fair warning, going to be a lot of Blue Jays talk on there for the foreseeable future, especially uh, if Ladito is going to keep having three Homer games like he did today. Um, I alluded to Postmarks, the podcast that I run with David Myers uh, a little bit earlier in the episode. Our new episode will be out this Saturday. I think it's the 6th of the interviews that we have done with members of the post-wrestling community. You hear his voice every Tuesday morning and occasionally when he drops by on Friday to freestyle. But how much do you actually know about Colby John himself, the man behind the Hot 16s? We had a fun chat with him talking about wrestling, parenting, all sorts of stuff. That'll be out on Saturday. Uh my main hustle remains ididid.com, a website where myself and my partner Alex write about industrial goth, darkwave music. It's also the home of our We Have a Technical podcast. We recently celebrated our 400th episode where we had a number of guests, uh, writers, musicians, and podcasters, including Post's own Wei Ting, uh, who don't normally listen to that sort of music, uh, drop by and offer their thoughts uh, on some tracks that we selected for them. So if you've ever found yourself listening to to Post and you found yourself wondering, gee, I wonder what Wei thinks about the music of foundational electro-industrial band Skinny Puppy, then oh boy. Do I have a podcast for you? Uh, so again, that is all over at die, com.
0: Perfect. I think that's a question on the top of everyone's mind so they can go check that out and find that answer. Uh, <laughs> so I want to thank uh, Bruce for joining us tonight and everyone that joined us live tonight uh, on YouTube or downloaded the show afterwards. We'll be back on Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern time with the Post Daily News Show, and that will complete Rewind a Dynamite.